Last time on Dying Message Challenge, I asked our three amateur sleuths to invent their own oddly competitive will, inspired by Sahe Inugami's will in the book The Inugami Curse. This game is called A Battle of Wills. Kate Esposito said, Massive obstacle course. And then at the end, whoever gets there first just opens an envelope and it already has the name. Michael Savitsky said, I commissioned a statue of myself made completely of tempered chocolate, and the person who can eat the most of it uh, wins. Go! Sam Abrams said, Paint the best mask of me, and the most lifelike but creepy wins my fortune. In just a moment, I'll judge those entries and update you on everyone's scores. Coming up today, we've got more challenges. We'll find out who was closest in guessing the solution to these murders. We'll crown a champion, and we'll have a book club. It's time for part two of Dying Message Challenge, The Inugami Curse. And we're back online together. It's been exactly one week since we recorded the first part of this year's Dying Message Challenge. So last week, our three amateur sleuths uh, had read the beginning of the classic Japanese murder mystery novel, The Inugami Curse, by Seishi Yokomizo, translated by Yumiko Yamazaki. All three of you made official attempts to solve the murders, and we're going to resolve all of that today and crown a champion. That means this is the second half of a two-part podcast spectacular. So today, it's going to make a lot more sense to listen to this episode if you go back and listen to last week's. Um, but we've all had a week off, so let's remember who we are and what we're doing here. I don't know. What's like a sequel movie that you shouldn't watch before watching the first movie? Break into Electric Boogaloo, probably. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, the that sequel. I was talking to someone yesterday whose boyfriend was like, they were going to see Infinity War. And he was like, so what do I need to know for this? Yeah, no, skip that. Go right into Endgame. See how see how that goes. <laughs> okay, so let's remember what we're doing here. Uh, starting with who am I? I haven't even said my name yet. It's a podcast record. I am your fictional detective slash once a year game show host, Noah Max Levine. It's like a werewolf situation, except my transformation happens when I'm exposed to a compelling Japanese mystery novel. To be clear, you don't have to read the book and we will... Have a little to say about whether or not you should read the book before tuning into the podcast before we start getting into spoilers. But let's meet our three amateur sleuths who are competing today for the title of second annual detective champion and the prize, which is a specialized, unique detective champion t shirt. TBD shirt. I still maintain that I got robbed in my prize <laughs> the first time. I think you may you get a t shirt for winning last year. Yay. So why don't we meet? our soon-to-be owner of the first ever commemorative t-shirt, our reigning champion, Kate Esposito. Kate, you are a veteran educator, host of Blue Sky Ed podcast. You perform with uh, another one of our challengers on the improv team, Daddy Issues. So we're at the halfway point. How are you feeling about your chances of holding on to the title this year? I don't know. I mean, I am aware of what I got right and wrong in my predictions of the mystery, mm. but uh, I'm also aware that this could be anyone's game. So, And I do love me a free t-shirt. Do I get two t-shirts if I win again? Whoa, someone's <laughs> confident. Maybe maybe a t-shirt and a pair of pants. I don't know. Make it a whole Ooh, outfit. A sweatsuit. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Can it be a, a pair of jogging pants that says sleuthy on the butt? <laughs> Can I, it I would be? wear that. I'm not going to lie. 
Noah, I need you to look into custom gear for me, please. Oh, um, you can customize all, all sorts of things. Uh, next up, we have the actual English teacher, Sam Abrams. Sam, you are a comedian and a teacher. Last week was your first crack at Dying Message Challenge. Last year, I was also saying this when we were chatting, but do you think your students would be into a competitive murder mystery reading challenge in class? Yes. If it was especially in um, manga format, they would lose their minds. (laughs) Would they cheat and read ahead and pretend they didn't? (laughs) Yes, but... (laughs) <laughs> but like i mean we're we're four people and i think honor system within four people works um mm-hmm. but uh you know if there's more than four i feel like you could try to sneak through and someone's trying to impress someone else in the class so they go to the bathroom and google it or what, whatever i have <laughs> seen books like i think they're mostly kids books but you look at the back and they're like hey don't <laughs> read this back page <laughs> read the end now and I just think that's very adorable. <laughs> a lot of manga, actually, especially when they first started coming out in the correctly flipped order, so that you're reading from right to left, uh, would put that on the, the yeah. front or the back page, which looks like the front page to someone who's like, oh, I don't know what a back cover is. Okay, great. You, you know what? Ooh. That is exactly the kind of thing that you would say are that you would say. Let me introduce you. And people will find out why. <laughs> it's the meticulous note taker, Michael Savitsky. Michael, you are the resident anime expert on a regular podcast. We're also boyfriends who live together, which is how I know that you recently got a Kindle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think Ooh. you'll be reading any murder mysteries on your Kindle in the near future? Probably not, because I mostly don't. <laughs> and when I have to read one for this, you give me a physical book, <laughs> and I don't have to do anything. You could request a Kindle edition. I would have asked you a more general question, but that was more thematic. Um, And people can see that we're honest with each other. And don't just say things to get a good podcast. (laughs) First, I want to say everyone did really well this year. I think partially that's because last year's book was like literally impossible. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone should check it out. Murder in the Crooked House. It was wild. Episodes 13 and 14 of our podcast. I'm telling you, the house opens. It's like like a dollhouse and it's got a mechanism. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) <laughs> I was also impressed, like everybody got like some random part of the mystery correct that no other person got. And if I had just let you all work together, maybe <laughs> it all yeah, would have come it, together. It did really kind of work out like that. But let's go ahead and uh, wrap up one thing that that everybody wants to know, which is who won a battle of wills. This is what I've decided. I have decided that Michael with the chocolate statue eating contest is going to get three points. Sam, who has the Life Life Mask Contest, is going to get two points. And Kate, with the Fake Out Obstacle Course, is going to get one point. All right. If I knew you liked chocolate buttholes so much, that's what I would have gotten you for Valentine's Day. Yeah, thanks. I liked all (laughs) these ideas a lot. You're just going to breeze right by that, Noah? (laughs) I'm a man on a mission. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought you all did great. I would watch all of those wills unfold on TV if, you know, it's a televised will situation. Can I just throw in that I forgot that that happened? And so for the first part of this, I thought I was supposed to be coming up with one. Oh, and no. I've been sitting here trying to think of what I would say. Did, so, did you come up with anything? <laughs> not that I particularly want to share, no, but I just want to apparently mentioned that I have the memory of a goldfish this week. Well, that's what makes it a cliffhanger, was that 
it was left over from last week. Yeah, I'm sorry I forgot that part. It it falls off the cliff in our brains between between recording sessions. But here, here's another challenge that all of you, nobody has heard of this before. You're all going to do this from scratch. It's a challenge that's a great service to our listeners. We're going to be competing with the titan of internet commerce in a game I call Better Than Amazon. So before we start going into the solution of the murder at the end of the book, which is, again, The Inugami Curse by Seishi Yokomizu, I want to give our listeners a chance to go out and read the book on their own if they want to, and want to make sure that they're properly informed about what that would be like. I don't feel as strongly about this as last year, where like the twist was really incredible and out there, and I was like, you should definitely read this first. But you know, let's make sure they have the correct information. What's someone going to do if they're trying to figure out how to read this book? They're going to go to Amazon, and they're going to read reviews, but we can do better than Amazon. So I want each of you to share three spoiler-free things about this book that will help people decide whether or not to read it. It could be your opinion about the quality of the book. It could be information about the plot or characters. It could be whatever three things that you want to share. Points go to the most useful presentation of three items. And then after this game, we're going to start talking about all the secrets in the book. So this is our spoiler warning to the audience if you haven't yet sat down and read this book and you want to without knowing who the murderer is. Maybe that's how you like to read a murder mystery. I don't know. Um, so Sam, you'll go first, then Kate, then Michael. Each person just do all three things. Um, if you like scrappy detectives, books written like um, a slightly more detailed police report, and family drama a la Knives Out but without Tony Collette, you may like The Inugami Curse. Okay, but, but why is anybody going to go after Knives Out without Tony Collette? <laughs> I have no answer for that. <laughs> Tony Collette is a goddamn gem. Yeah. I mean, also, like, I wasn't wild about this book, so maybe I'm uh, only. But you're giving people the you're giving people the straight juice. <laughs> that sounds gross. All right, Kate, you're up next. If you choose to read the Inugami Curse, I can promise you. There will be an eccentric detective with bomb-ass downhill skiing skills. (laughs) There will be intrigue between cousins, which is real gross. I don't know why I led with that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's your jam. (laughs) And there will be the most beautiful woman ever described in literature. She won't be described, but you're going to know how beautiful she is. Mm. Now I have to come up with some new ones. Michael. Hold on, I have to come up with new ones. They both mentioned the detective. You can mention the detective again. Okay, all right, fine. You should read The Inugami Curse if you are a fan of radiant beauty so amazing that you can't even walk by it without mentioning it, like spending a paragraph on it at least. Mm. If you love topiary that are made to look like family members (laughs) killing each other? Question mark? But then someone actually, anyway, (laughs) almost got into a spoiler there. Or if you love really unsettling rubber masks made to look like the face of people who lost their face. Yeah, that is a big one. It's not exciting, but I'm going to give you each two points because I think you each like shared one uniquely compelling thing. And this is not a good sign because I'm going to have to make lots of choices later on. Good job, everyone. So, you know, all right, we're going to start spoiling things. You all have been warned. If you want to read this book do it. Otherwise, go watch TV. I mean, listen to this podcast. (laughs) So uh, each of our amateur sleuths, 
made their official guesses for each different murder in the book and each kind of question we had about that. But I want to start just by like revealing the overarching motive and murderer and some of what was going on behind the scenes throughout the book. Sahe Inugami, he was the wealthy patriot arc of the Inugami family. He died before the start of the book. Then there were four people killed. The lawyer Wakaba Yashi, who had disclosed the contents of the will, and then the three grandsons of Sahe Inugami, Take, Tomo, and Kiyo. Well, not actually Kiyo, but you know, we'll get to that. So first things first, who was the person posing as Kiyo and staying in the house throughout the majority of the book? Shizuma. And he was the son of the dead guy Sahe through his most favorite mistress. I think everybody was pretty much on that page when we talked last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, Shizuma is actually the one who's killed at the end of the book when they think Kiyo is dead, but it's actually him. They figured that out pretty quickly. So who was the main killer? The mom. Matsuko. Matsuko. Kiyo's mom, Matsuko, who was also one of Sahe's daughters, um, one of his three separate daughters from three separate wives. And why did she kill the first two people? So her son could her son could get the inheritance or have no competition to get the inheritance. Because he'd be the only one left. Because she had seen the will ahead of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why did she kill the, the fake Kios, a.k.a. Shizma? Not only did he oust himself as a fake Kyo, but he decided he wasn't going to marry Tamayo, so no inheritance. Yeah, she <laughs> killed him. She killed him. All right, let's get to this first murder and see how everybody did. With murder number one, um, the first person who was killed was Take. He's one of Sahe's grandsons. This murder ends up being a lot more complicated than it looks at first, and a whole bunch of people are involved. So first <laughs> off, Sam, you are going to get two bonus points. Ooh. Because last week, you had talked about thinking that Kyo and Shizuma had met at war, and that Shizuma had told Kyo what happened to his mother, and that Kyo like, felt some responsibility to make things right. And all of that turned out to be true. Yay. Um, it wasn't an answer to any of the questions, but you said it and and you were right on point. <laughs> so I gave so you get two points for that. Cool. And this is important because um, Shizuma, who came back from the war first, pretended to be Kyo and was stealing the inheritance. So when Kyo came back, he pretended to be no one at all and disguised his face and took on a new name. The real Kyo and the fake Kyo are meeting in the boathouse as the murder takes place on top of the boathouse. And uh, let me read a passage. Kyo kind of describes what happens. Kiyo nodded weakly. Immediately we heard a low groan and the thud of someone falling and saw Mother come rushing headlong down the stairs. Shizuma and I were sitting there, staring at each other in astonishment. But wait as we did, we neither saw Take come down nor heard him make a sound. So we crept up the stairs and saw. Kiyo again covered his face with his hands. Who could blame him for the bitter, mortifying, torturous anguish he felt? For he had seen Take's dead body murdered by his own mother. Could there be a more horrifying experience? Don't answer that. (laughs) This is also the point when Kiyo and Shizuma are going to switch places. Another thing that was pointed out was the fact that the murder was done with a dagger, but it seemed like it would be hard to cut off someone's head with a dagger. And that's because he actually cut off his head with a sword later. After Matsuko killed the body, she went away and Shizuma and Kiyo collaborated to cut off the head, put it in the garden and get rid of the body. And Shizuma took Kyo's place and went back to the inn. Lots of uh, lots of details here. She's such a sloppy murderer. She's just leaving <laughs> her shit around all she the time. She doesn't care. She's cold. Yeah. She does not care at all. 
It was honestly frustrating how she was just like, ugh. Well, if you told me that, I wouldn't have killed all those people. (laughs) I didn't ask anybody to clean up my murders. I was just murdering. (laughs) Yeah, very much like at the end of the book when they start revealing things. She's like, I realized someone was cleaning up after my murders and it made me angry. Ah. So the questions I asked were, who killed Take and why? What were the circumstances of Take's death? And why was Take's headless corpse thrown into the lake? So let's now award points for our first deductive challenge. Chrysanthemum is for murder. And I think the most any person can get for any one of these is five points, which someone might get for one of these at one point. But first of all, Sam, on the subject of who killed Take, you said it was Keo as the repatriated soldier. Keo was involved and the repatriated soldier got rid of the body. So I gave you half point for that. And you did mention there was confusion of what to do with the body between multiple murders. And so I gave you a point because there was confusion and a lack of coordination. So that's one and a half points for Sam. Michael, you said it was the two Kios working together. I gave you half a point because they were involved but didn't do the murder. That was Matsuko. Uh, you also said that the motive was about Tamayo's marriage and that they wanted the pocket watch. And I gave you half a point because Matsuko was eliminating a rival for the murder. Yeah, so you got one point. One, 1.5, sorry. I feel like I had a more exciting way to do this last year, but I don't remember what it was, so whatevs. Just just edit in the sound effect of people losing life points in Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> so every time we get points, it's like... <laughs> because you're hitting each other? That doesn't make much sense. And Kate, you said it was Shizuma together with his mother who was disguised as Kokin, the Kodo teacher. That wasn't what happened at the murder here, but I am going to give you... I'm going to give you two points for being the only person to guess Kokin's true identity, that she was not just a Kodo teacher, but also pretty randomly the mother of Shizuma. It was pretty random. Any other thoughts on this first murder? Nothing too surprising in the way this all unfolded. No. I remember that with this one, I was struggling. Like, if Kyo and Shizuma are working together, why doesn't this make any sense? The answer is because they didn't, they weren't all working together on purpose. It was all by accident. Yeah. Which is like a little bit bullshit. Like there's a whole chapter in this called like what a series of coincidences. Right. And like, this, yeah, that happens yeah, a lot. <laughs> I, I loved that. Loved. Finger quotes. Loved that after all of this, the murders and everything like very late in the book, I we guessed this anyway, but it like randomly says like, the mask was identical to Kyo's face, who also happens to look almost exactly like Shizuma. It was like, um, I get that that would have maybe given it away, but that seemed like a random thing for no one else to have known or mentioned in the rest of the book. Like, Yeah, there's another section I highlighted where there very much are like, Shizuma went off to war and disappeared. So there's no evidence of him being in Japan. There's no evidence of him coming back. So even though like it was obviously made a big enough impression on all of us that we were like, he's probably Shizuma, they all, I don't know, it didn't click for any of them for whatever reason. Yes. It seems pretty obvious. I mean, from the beginning, Matsuko was very incorrectly vouching for him like crazy. Mm. So, yeah. Like, well, if his mother says it's him, then it must be him. But it's like, she didn't really have a strong reason to feel that way until much later. Yeah. So. I didn't know when I was going to do this, but I think probably the thing that is most frustrating to me about this book is that the person who spent the entire book being like, 
Stop investigating. You're so annoying. I'm so obviously sketchy was the killer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so upset because, I mean, uh, it's just so obvious that we were like, it can't possibly be her. She's just right. being a real beehole. But no, it was her. she's just a murderer being a sketchy murderer. And yet they gave her such a strong alib- seeming alibi for some of the murders that it throws you off for a little bit until you figure out the second one. But as long as we're on the subject of Monsico, that leads great into our next challenge. It's a game of parental surprise and embarrassment. It's time to play Oh Mother. So as we just revealed, Keo happened to like walk in and see his mother killing his cousin Take. Based on what we know about Keo and his mother Matsuko, I want you each to tell me what is something else that Keo has walked in on his mother doing at some point on his life that has also been traumatizing. Most traumatizing and accurate, believable answer wins. Kate, then Michael, then Sam. I feel like... I'm just going to go with my gut because that's usually how I do things. I feel like Keo has definitely walked in on mom, like shaving or waxing her beef at some point. Like I feel like he absolutely has done that. And she was just like same level of cold indifference. Just like what? This is what I do. We don't have the ability to fact check whether or not that is something that would have gone on in this place and time period, so I buy it. Or are yeah. these supposed to be accurate? Well, to the, char- <laughs> to the characters. That's what I'm going with, yeah. Um, next up is Michael. Uh, I feel like at some point he walked in and his mother was just dusting off her collection of masks that look like him at various stages of his life, <laughs> like the little baby Keo mask and like the awkward teenage Keo mask and the Keo's off to war mask. Yeah, she is the one who was responsible for that mask. She had it made when she saw mm-hmm. Chizuma's face. And this is the 40s, so that's like takes a while, right? A couple so, days. Like, she was ready? She was ready for that, mm-hmm. question mark? Mike, that's a more disturbing image to me than my <laughs> example, so. I'll take that into consideration. <laughs> uh, Sam, what have you got? You know, I'm thinking kind of a BDSM sort of moment. Um, I have two theories about her, and maybe this is hedging my bets, and that's unfair, but I think someone who loves power that much probably is Maybe enjoys being dominated a little bit. So mom in a collar and, you know, a leash perhaps. Um, Or maybe this is just how she is in all aspects of her life. And so it's like her stomping on the nuts of a guy who paid her to do it. Too much? So so we can't be sure whether or not which side of the the power dynamic she she exercises. But you're pretty sure he's walked in on her having... Hot, kinky, BDSM. Yeah. Well, let's scratch the word hot from the record. You don't know. I don't know. It could have been great, but not for you to walk in on. I don't know. Everyone's really familial in this. Maybe he was into it. (laughs) So now, um, since this game is called Oh Mother, our guest judge is my mother, and I will call her. And see what she wants to do. I'm so gl- I'm so pleased with my response because I'm the only one who doesn't have to be worried about the ramifications of your mother hearing me say those oh things. Yeah, I don't God. know. 
she might listen to this. <laughs> She's more interested in this podcast when it covers books, so it could happen. Mm. Is this a joke? Or are you actually calling your mom right now? No, I'm not calling my mom right now. Oh, good. Okay. No, good. no, no. Um, okay. But I do have to award points, and and th- this this is pretty tricky. I'm going to call Michael the winner and give Sam two and Kate one and a half. Ugh. Terrible choice. Yeah. No, I mean, going first is tough. None of us knew how far Sam was going to take it. I don't regret my answer, Noah. I just think no, you, you made the wrong choice. Oh, I did. In awarding your points. I'm not good at I will this. say, if I wasn't last, I probably wouldn't have heightened that far, but... <laughs> All right, Sam, you are going to be last in every game. Because <laughs> that's that's the energy this podcast needs. Surely, surely that's what they're looking for. I mean... <laughs> I was I was talking to somebody and I was like, Noah keeps asking me to be on his podcast, but I do feel like sometimes I say things that seem like I'm trying to ruin his podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but he keeps asking, so I'll keep doing it. Oh, surely, surely you've never heard any of our episodes with Katie and Nick on then. <laughs> they are actually trying to ruin the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's stop talking about murdering a podcast. And let's start talking about murdering a person named Tomo. A sexual assaulter. Yeah. Mm. Attempted sexual assaulter. Actual Mm -hmm. assaulter? Well, the way the book is written, we can Mm -hmm. pretty much chalk it up that he would have done it Mm -hmm. if he wasn't stopped. So this is the second big murder in the book. Right after the first murder, the two of them were switched, and that's when they did this handprint check. And because Keo was temporarily acting as himself with a mask of his own face that he didn't need on, the handprint matched. But Tamayo was sitting there, and she was going to tell him to take off the mask, but she didn't have the courage to do so. And they would have noticed, hey, your face is no longer damaged like it was before. It's a miracle. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? (laughs) Then the second murder takes place. And Tomo had drugged Tamayo and taken her to this abandoned property across the lake. And Keo, as the soldiers stepped in, stopped him, tied him up, called Monkey, who came and got him. And we'll see that Michael was very correct about this. Tomo freed himself from the ropes, went back to the Inugami household across the lake. And we were talking about the coincidences because what Keo and Shizuma are having another meeting, the two of them outside, and they happen to be right near this next murder when it happens. Let's see how that went. And by see, I mean listen, because this is a podcast. The person who had strangled Tomo came out of the shadows for the first time and stood stooping over him and eventually straightened and glanced around, and I, I, saw who it was. Keo nodded weakly and shuddered again. What a horrible trick of fate, for Keo had witnessed another of his mother's monstrous deeds. It was the cruelest of fates anyone could experience. Which I feel like is what it said the first time he saw his mother murder someone. You'd wish or think that if I was clever enough to realize Matsuko did this one, I would then take that logic elsewhere in the plot and be like, hmm, but nope, this is the only one I credit her with. The questions were who killed Tomo and why? What were the circumstances of his death? Why were there extensive rope burns on his skin, although the rope was so tightly he couldn't move? And why did Sayoko have a button from Tomo's shirt? So Michael picked up on the important clue, which is on page 200. They are talking to Matsuko and she has a wound on her finger, which she claims that she got just then, but it was actually from a previous night. 
Tomo had come back and she had killed him. They thought that she couldn't do it because it happened far away, but actually it happened right there. So she no longer had an alibi because she got away for 10 minutes. That's also why his button was found at the mansion because he was killed there. This is our second deductive challenge. Let's see how everyone did. You say tomato. I say Tomo killed with a Kodo string. Okay. They don't get better when I say them the second time. (laughs) I just want everyone listening to know that there's a lot of chagrined head shaking happening when Noah says these. (laughs) That's what we're all here for, isn't it? It's par for the course (laughs) with dying message. (laughs) All right. So, Kate, I'm giving you a half a point because you had pegged the murderers as Shizuma and Kyo, and they did do the cleanup afterwards to, uh, to get the body back and tie it back up. You also are getting a point for talking about the rope burns that they were loose enough and then were retied. You didn't get that he got completely free, but you were you were pretty close there. So that's one and a half points. Sam, I'm going to give you a half a point here because you said the murderer was Kiwa as the repatriated soldier, and he was the one that stopped it from happening, but he wasn't the one that then did the murder. Um, and then Michael, you're going to get five points for this because you Whoa. nailed you nailed it. You said it was Matsuko, and you talked about her cut finger and how that showed that she had the wound. You said that he came all the way back and she killed him during a break. You said that he got completely out of the ropes and went back to the house. That was correct. And you said that the button was there because he got all the way home. So that's five That's five points for Michael. I'm giving myself an imaginary point for, I'm pretty sure I said often, I like Michael's theory better. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did yeah, say you that. Yeah, d- you did. It's all on me for not letting you collaborate. <laughs> if we had been able to collaborate, we would have gotten all the points for all that's of That's what I'm mm-hmm. saying. You all did really well. All right. uh, Before we move on to the final murders and business, the last of the three big murders, let's get creative with a fictional murder in our next game. No room for heirlooms. That's good. (laughs) Uh, So Shizuma staged both of these first two murders to appear connected to the first two Inigami family heirlooms, the Chrysanthemum Kiku and the Zither Koto. So I want each of you to pick an outrageous heirloom uh, and describe a murder scene of someone who was killed with or connected to that heirloom. So this shouldn't be set in the world of the book or involve the characters, but just like, hey, if someone's heirloom mm-hmm. was a feather, this is what kind of murder someone might stage to involve a feather. Most zany and original wins will be going in the order of Michael, Sam, Kate. Okay. Um, well, the heirloom in this murder is, well, so you know how like older older people might not replace their technology as frequently as younger people? Uh-huh. Uh, and think it's special in some way. And I, the government also feels this way because they also use these. So I feel like the heirloom is a blackberry. The technology, not the fruit. Yes, the technology. But the murder scene, the body is desecrated and, and cut into teeny tiny pieces and put into a, a blackberry bush that's had all of its berries plucked out so that the body is the, acts as the blackberries in the blackberry bush. That's gross. Yes. <laughs> Why would you say that? That's what you made me go first. I I did it on the fly. (laughs) All right, Sam, what have you got? The heirloom has an umbrella. Um, It's a very nice, you know, like a golf umbrella, but Mm. it's got a gold handle or some shit. And what they do is pulverize the body and have it over some mesh. So it's like probably a beating, lots of blood. And then there's a mesh with the umbrella open underneath. Because bad luck, you're dead, and the uh, 
rain is blood. Ugh. Okay. Ugh. Oh, and underneath the umbrella, all dry, is like a little note that says, like, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and it explains exactly how the rain thing is supposed to work in case you don't get it. <laughs> wow. I enjoy a good general, like, <laughs> confession note that doesn't actually say who did it. Yeah. But admits to it. Well, it's not signed. It's not ridiculous. <laughs> Kate, what have you come up with? Well, since everyone went pretty gross, I feel okay being a little bit gross. Um, I also watch and read a lot of true crime. This is based in part from my looking at properties throughout Philadelphia the last few days. Um, Mm. The heirloom is one of those 1960s, like, mustard yellow couches with the plastic cover. um, Like one would have found in my grandmother's house. And the murderer murdered near the couch, probably on like an olivey green shag carpet. And they uh, took the body, chopped it all up and put it inside the cushions, which because covered in plastic, the blood and the, the grossness couldn't seep through if you were sitting on it. So masterfully hidden. That's what I got. Yeah. Noah, you seem disappointed, but yeah, I because magnificent. No, because because if you all keep doing so well, my judgings of you are just going to get increasingly arbitrary. <laughs> We're going to get into like one eighth of a point. Yeah, I just I just want to give you all positive feedback, Michael. I really liked the way that it was a, a blackberry, but then you did the pun on the bush. That's kind of like the ones in the in the book where it's like something with the same name. Pretty clever. Sam, I really like the way that the umbrella became useful because the blood was raining down. A gross image. And like, what else is an umbrella for? Kate, I like the detail of the plastic cover, like obscuring the fact that the murder has happened for an extra while. And like the plastic covers are weird and gross. And that's a weird and, and a weird detail. No, if, if you just say things you liked, then it's an awful lot like just getting notes from improv coach. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Depends on the coach. <laughs> well, which is to say that everybody wins. No, um, I do want to give I do want to give points and I do want this to matter, which means I'm going to have to choose someone. Sam, I don't know why I say that like all disappointed. Sam, you get you get three <laughs> points for this one. <laughs> Uh, Michael, I'm only giving you one, and Kate, I'm giving you two. Don't make me explain myself. I think Michael should get two because he had puns in it, but I'm not the boss. I am going to ruin this podcast. (laughs) We'll give him one and a half. Um, I don't know if I've read the scores aloud in a while, so let's just check in on the scores real quickly. Oh, yeah, I have no idea. Kate uh, is very close behind with 29 and a half. Michael has 30 and a half, and Sam is still in the lead with 34 and a half. Man, Ooh, from, that's a gap. From first place to last place, I don't know how I feel about this. You're right yeah, in there. All it takes is Michael getting it exactly right. <laughs> but it only happened once. <laughs> well, let's see how everybody did with the third murder. Mm-hmm. So the final body is found face down in the ice. At first, everyone thinks it's Keo, but it's just Shizuma who was posing as Keo, of course. So last week, we talked about some of these revelations that came out shortly before this last murder. And one thing we learned was that Tamayo was Sahe Inugami's biological granddaughter. We didn't know there was a biological connection at the beginning of the book. And Shizuma realized that Tamayo was his niece and no longer wanted to marry her. I love that distinction. Cousins, marry away, have children out of wedlock, just 
like bunnies do it but like mm, I, we draw the line at an uncle and a niece that's yeah we'd have to be a creepy. little closer to this culturally i think to judge whether or not this is like accurately how people would feel or if, or if it is just an arbitrary <laughs> distinction but yeah it it reads pretty silly i mean it's a strong line in the sand it's like not this many genetic hops one more then you're good but he also you. didn't grow up in that household Maybe it is a, a specific familial thing, the same way royal families are a little icky. And mm. he didn't grow up in that household, so he's probably like, okay, wow. It was not Even uncommon for cousins to marry. I do feel like a first cousin is a little bit much, but at one point in time, it was not considered weird. But I'm with you, Mike. The uncle and niece thing. Are they slightly more distantly related because they had different sets of grandparents? They are slightly more dif- distantly related than than most first cousins would be. Because usually first cousins share a grandma and grandpa. And here they only share the grandfather because each of them had a different grandmother. They're still first cousins. That's not enough distance, Noah. Not enough. All right. Well, when we're done with this, we'll pull out our tape measure and we'll figure out how much distance is enough. <laughs> When Shizuma reveals his identity to Matsuko, this is what happens uh, from Matsuko's point of view. She eventually confesses to this. I continued asking him to clear up various points, but then he must have noticed the murderous expression on my face, for he suddenly rose and tried to flee. That made me snap. When I came to my senses again, he was slumped dead, and I was clutching in my hand the belt from my kimono, the belt that I had wound around his neck. Anybody here do crosswords? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. What's the belt from a kimono? Kenobi. Yeah, that's been a crossword puzzle clue like five times. I know that times. from hanging around cosplayers. Okay. <laughs> Not crosswords. Well, it's a good tip for anybody that's doing the New York Times crossword puzzle. All right, so the questions here are who killed Keo and why? What are the circumstances surrounding Keo's death? And I did make you all stop reading like right after this stopped happening, and you didn't necessarily have all the context, but everybody made some theories. So let's score our third deductive challenge, Murdered Man Upside Down Lake. I think someone had a better name for this game, and I should have used it the second time. But Oh, let me ask you who killed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. All right, so Michael, you thought it was Monkey trying to help out Tamayo, which is not correct. I'm going to nope. give you a half point because you recognize that an axe wasn't used, and that's why they had to throw the body in the lake, and a half point for saying it was Shizuma's dead body. So that's one point. Kate... You said that it was Monkey on behalf of Tamayo and that she did it because she found out that Shizuma was a faker posing as Kyo. So I'm going to give you one and a half points. You get a half point again for knowing the body was Shizuma and you get one point because that is the correct motive. It was that uh, someone figured out that Shizuma was masquerading, but not the right person. Sam, you also got the correct motive. You said that Mats and the correct person. You said that it was Matsuko realized that it was Shizuma posing as Kyo and killed him, and so that it was Shizuma in the ice. And your clue was that Tamayo wanted a hand point after he was dead, so I gave you three points for this. All righty, we've got a couple last those last little questions I asked you, and, and a lot of people are going to get a lot of points for those. But before we do that, one last little mini game. I think this is our last little mini challenge of the year. This game is called Yelp Me If You Can. So I was browsing reviews of this book on the internet. A common theme which also came up in the review I read last week is how incompetent Kandaichi seems in this book. There's some other commentary in this one, but I liked this review on on Goodreads by someone named Frankie. 
This novel is indeed a classic, with its intense male gaze and bumbling detective who, despite his impeccable reputation and lengthy resume of other cases that you must have heard about surely, has been zero help with solving the case until the final answers land on his lap, spread eagle, with the smoking gun in hand and all the subtlety of a cannon. Don't know why I have to, when I like reading a book, I have to read all the bad reviews about it, but it's something I very much enjoy. (laughs) What I want you all to do Kendaichi is still trying to build up his reputation as a detective at this point, so following his performance on this murder, I want each of you to give him a Yelp review. So how many stars are you going to give him, and what short comment are you going to write? Kate, then Michael, then Sam. I give Detective Kendaichi two stars. He doesn't get more stars because I kept fearing I was going to catch lice from him based on how often he scratched his head when he would get excited. And I never really fully understood why he did that. It was just his nervous tick, apparently. He doesn't get zero points because I did enjoy his high-speed chase in the snow on skis, as previously mentioned. But I felt like he was a little bit, uh, and when I say a little bit, I mean a lot, objectifying of poor Tameo just because she was a beautiful woman. He really couldn't shut up about her. So stay focused on the case, buddy. That's what I have to say. Thanks, Kate. Michael, you're up. That was like everything I was going to say. Um... Maybe I should have had you yelp different characters. Well, you're all doing Kendaiji. <laughs> what can you do? All right. I'll just do it off the cuff and see where it, where it, it lands. I'm, I'm going to give uh, Kendaichi three stars. Sure, he was present for a lot of murders he didn't prevent. And also a suicide he didn't prevent despite identifying the item that was used for said suicide and sure he's kind of gross and wears the same thing for like a month two months how long did this book take place he like wore the same thing the whole time but he kind of solved it and yeah he he's a great cost country skier i'm gonna do mine as the um owner of the inn that he stayed at for a month <laughs> oh. uh, and give him one stars slovenly and never left there were two murders and then a nice break and nothing was happening hoping he would leave he also didn't tip the maid um i'm making that up it's not factually accurate but um <laughs> One star for cleanliness and hotel guest skills. Maybe a half star for, I guess, persistence and sticking around as a detective, despite no real uh, evidence to show there are more reasons he should stick around when he's not solving the case. It's also a vacation, right? Yeah, one time he slept late until 7 (laughs) a.m. Okay, Um, boy, Sam, you get three. Uh, this time, I think the fact that you went last forced you to take a unique viewpoint, and that worked out in your favor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Michael and Kate, you both get two. Oh. This brings us to the last questions, the nagging questions deductive cha- challenge. I asked you each five questions about some of the other going-ons in the book, and then we'll talk about the final plot point and have some fun to wrap things up. Or by fun, I mean have a little book club, which is fun, isn't it? On these questions, the first question was who killed Wakabayashi, and the second question was who was making the early attempts on Tamayo's life. Michael said Matsuko, which was correct, so he gets two points for those. Sam and Kate both went with all three sisters, um, which was only a third correct, so I gave you point th- three points for each of them and rounded it up to point seven. 
then you were all uh, pretty much correct on the next three questions. So you're all going to get a point for each of these. When the results of the handprints were announced, Tamayo twice began to say something but stopped. What was she going to say? None of you said, take off your mask. But you all said she recognized that a switch had happened or that he was an imposter. So that's one point there. What was the soldier looking for when he was searching Tamayo's room? It was the pocket watch. And who was the soldier? It was the real Keo. So that means Sam and Kate get 3.7 and Michael gets five. Always better if there's more decimals in the scores. That's what I always say. Hey, you're counting. Excel is counting. third work out to 0.7? I'm not, I'm not disputing the scores. I'm just don't, not following Because I math. have 0.3 plus 0.3 and I rounded up to 0.7. It's 0.6666667, but I don't want to put that into Excel. What was the 0.3 plus 0.3? Because there were two questions that they got 0.3 for. Oh, I see. They both for two Michael, questions. Michael, I'm going to be that. here all night. You can ask me this after the podcast is <laughs> over. Okay. I'm just checking in. I'm just checking in. I like to understand math. It's kind of my thing. As we go into our final game, this is the most open-ended and subjective game. It's always disappointing because last year I found it very hard to keep score while we were doing this. And uh, it's who knows what will happen. But it's time for Dying Message Challenge, the competitive book club. So I have a couple topics for discussion, and you all have things that I'm sure you want to talk about as well. We're going to have a competitive book club, the best way to do it. Talk about the book, make jokes, all those things. Um, I have a notepad. I'll be giving people tally marks whenever I want to. If you talk or say something, that's great. I might say that I'm giving you points, but in practice, I probably won't. And at the end of 20 or 30 minutes, however much time we have, or whenever we run out of steam, I'll count up the tally marks and those will become everyone's final scores. Um, before we go into that, I will just update you. Sam has pulled further ahead at 44.2. Michael's at 38.5 and Kate is at 36.7. Just have fun. I mean, this isn't about winning or losing. It's about um, everybody keeping me company. So we're just chatting? That's, that's what we're supposed to do? We're just going to chat? Yeah, we're just going to, you know, like do a book club. Do a book club. Okay, I would like to start with the page I just flipped open to (laughs) and a line that I highlighted that I really enjoy. I am obsessed with this ski chase. I don't know why. I just found it really funny. Yes, fill us in on this because we didn't. There's a couple things at the end of the book that we haven't talked about yet. Yes, we have to talk about Mm -hmm. the ski chase. So I forget why they went on the ski chase. They. The chief, because Keo was running into the mountains because right. he was gonna off himself after his fake attempt at killing right. Tamayo. But he was faking that he was gonna kill himself. So the chief comes to get Kendaichi, who like <laughs> there's this whole exchange about how he needs to change clothes because it's too cold, and he just tucks his kimono into his pants and is like, "I'm good." And then they take off on this drive and then they have to ski because it's too snowy and the whole thing is just wild and feels like it comes out of nowhere but I found it deeply entertaining but my favorite part is that he like I have to just read it because it's so great damn they've started shooting Kendaichi hopped up the steep path like a jackrabbit soon reaching the summit at Numa no Daira but when he got there, he could not help but stop and cry out, how beautiful, despite the pressing situation. He is in like a, a ski chase with guns and he has to stop and say, oh, it's such a beautiful thing. Like, I just, oh, I this character, I know I Yelped reviewed him low on his detective skills, but as a character, I actually found him very entertaining. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's definitely fits the the glove of eccentric detective character. With no explanation at all. One thing I love from that scene that he noticed and I was like, no, I don't think as a reader there's any way I would have noticed this, is he noticed that the the fugitive, the, the person running, didn't aim the gun or shoot at anybody. Like, they only shot into the snow. And I feel like, I mean, maybe I was reading quickly to be like, come on, give me the answers, let's go. But it felt kind of like when someone's like, I have the answer because I have a clue that you didn't have. (laughs) (laughs) Ski Chase, it's just so cinematic. This has been made into a movie two times. And like the visual of him tucking his kimono into stuff is very um, sharp. There was a couple other things at the ending that we haven't hit on yet. We talked about the revelation that Kokin is the Kodo teacher, and it's just very, very, uh, is she's his mom. It's just very sad because, like, by the time she learns it, his her son is already dead, and uh, she seems to be a decent person who just has had all these terrible things happen to her. Yeah, she was just like literally, like, didn't move that far from home, became a, a teacher, like a music teacher under like the master of the area, and then succeeded him, and then was like, well, shit. Now I'd have to teach this area and the women who terrorized me. And yeah, I'll just go teach them. Why not? I can't get a sub. And she was always the other woman, which like can't have felt good that she always was like second fiddle to. Oh, that's right. Play. Even her like, even her quote unquote husband wasn't really her husband because she was the other woman for so Everyone long. was the other woman except for Tamayo. Mm, that's true. Okay. I guess the, I guess the three daughters had like husbands. Matsuko had yeah, a husband yeah. and, and Umeko. Did she? Yeah, they do. Weren't... They're all married. Oh, Matsuko's husband oh, okay. is maybe out of the picture. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think he died. Yeah, Matsuko's husband oh, yeah, died. That's right, yeah. They were so unimportant, those husbands. They were <laughs> yeah. so unimportant. They were so un- unimportant, we didn't need to know if Matsuko had one. <laughs> yeah, I think like Takeko's, if I remember correctly, like Takeko's husband was like squarish and like had like a grumpy attitude and that's all I yeah. remember of any Michael of you had told me something about the names of the three of Sahe's three daughters yeah so it immediately uh, occurred to me that like they were portraying how little he gave a shit about them even through their naming because Soko is like the generic this is a girl's name ending for a Japanese name so you just like take a word and add ko at the end it's like it's a girl's name it's perfect uh, so I was curious and, I, and apparently they're all named after trees so Matsuko or Matsu, so the Matsu in Matsuko means pine. Uh, the Take in Takeko is bamboo, which she loves so much she named her son Take. So perfect. And the Ume in Umeko is plum. So it was just oh, like, yeah, yeah you're, the, you're the pine tree girl, you're the bamboo tree girl, and you're the plum is tree Is Umeboshi girl. a thing? Umeboshi, that's a sour pl- a pickled mm-hmm. plum, yeah. What about Sayoko? Is that the same sort of idea, like pork? Oh, I didn't look up Sayoko, actually. Minus two points. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Speaking of Sayoko, <laughs> oh, gosh, can we talk yeah. about the very end where... The afterthought of Sayoko. Yeah, they're, then they're like, give her baby, her and Tomo's baby, half the fortune when you die. And also, Matsuko is like, let me light this poison cigarette. Bye-bye. It was just like a wild, oh, this this book. Well, that's not even the biggest thing in that scene too, right? So like they're wrapping everything up. She agrees to give the thing out. They don't catch Matsuko. She killed someone with a poison cigarette and then she 
poisons herself with tobacco. They don't stop her in time. But the other crazy thing that happens in that scene is Tamayo and Keo realize that they are related and they don't have any problem with getting together later. Yeah, they get engaged. They have to because of the will. And speaking of my unfortunate heightening, um, we did leave out that Tamayo, like right after the part where we stopped reading, um, Tamayo gets attacked. Right. And she is like choked at home, but is okay. I can't remember why she doesn't get killed. I mean, I know why. The reason is because it's Keo and he was trying to cover his tracks and be, <laughs> but like, if I may, I'm just imagining the scene of Keo wearing a mask or wearing his muffler and being like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> they were so in love. <laughs> because they love each other, but he needs to choke her for the plot. <laughs> but that's why she wasn't killed. But they, I think they mentioned that she's bruised. So, like, he went for it. And so, therefore, he had to convince even her, I guess. Because they awaken something he knew his you know he had been trying to cover his mother's tracks the whole book and this was his way to do it was to get caught doing a murder attempt with a with a note confessing to the murders and so he wanted to be caught in the act of doing a murder and that's why he did the runaway thing and didn't shoot any cops yeah And, and they're like wait you have this letter on you when when you were running away did you stop to write it clearly you came prepared with this letter just to get this straight though to protect his mother, who's a psychopath, yep. he decided oh, to mother. choke his girlfriend. Well, whatever the childhood love, estranged future love. fiance, choke her to the point of his bruising on her neck to protect his psycho mother. Like she, yeah. Tomeo needs to go find somebody else. None of these people are right. Like they're no. all cousin Marion weirdos so like it's not like they're all thinking with a clear head and like how would the will have worked out actually if so Keo is eliminated because he can no longer marry anyone that means Tamayo is free from her obligation doesn't it or does she still have to marry him as a if murderer if Keo dies but Tamayo survives then she can get the fortune right so Keo, Keo would have to have actually like if he was just caught as a murderer she'd still be obligated to marry him so that wouldn't have worked out he could decide not to marry her Oh, okay, yeah. And that's okay. If everyone Um, refuses to marry her. Yeah, but that would forfeit it for him. So Mm -hmm. he's also in it for the money because he could have just let her go. No, but see, they were truly, really, truly in love. He wanted to take the fall for his mother in the the mix, I guess, yeah. I do, okay, in like, you know, those moments where you're trying to go to sleep and you think about stupid stuff that doesn't matter, (laughs) I do think about like, you know, situations you see in movies or in books like this where you're so clearly pinpointed to be a criminal and like wonder like would I do crime (laughs) if I was (laughs) innocent but everybody just was so sure I was the killer right or the criminal of whatever and so like this is such a ridiculous ending where he's so desperate to take the fall but I have to wonder like if I was in this situation where I had to take the fall for someone it I could point all the evidence towards me, but I didn't want to actually like hurt anyone or kill anyone beyond like, I guess some gentle choking. <laughs> my estranged <laughs> cousin. Um, <laughs> I don't my God. <laughs> but I, I mean, would I do this when I go on a police chase where I don't shoot anybody? <laughs> I don't know. But I, I was thinking about like, 
is there a better answer for Keo at this point in this situation? Because he's obviously not going to turn his mom in, which is ridiculous because the entire confession scene, this mom is just like, ah, yeah, I did it. Uh, It's no problem doing all these murders. Like she was so, it wasn't even cool. It like crossed that, that border. Let's talk about Matsuko, Mm -hmm. the murderer of like, there's all these, all these characters. And like, we talked about how none of the husbands matter. And also none of her sisters get that much attention either. And Matsuko keeps coming Mm -hmm. up because, because of her relationship with Kyo. Even though, even though, uh, who is it? Is Umeko the strategist? Yeah, Umeko is the brilliant the strategist. strategist from the past. It super didn't matter but at Matsuko all. was the one who told that story when they finally came time to tell that story. Kendaichi is talking to the chief at the end of the book after uh, supposedly Kyo's body has been found. I tell you, that woman's something else, the chief says. She didn't cry or bawl like her sisters, even when she saw Kyo like that. She simply said, it's her. She's put the finishing touches on her revenge and then shut herself up in her room. But maybe that just goes to show how deep her feelings of hatred are. Now, it turns out it's because she was the one who killed him and it wasn't her son. I have a, I have a passage too. So Kendaichi has the big reveal. I think it should be quite obvious by now. Mrs. Matsuko, of course. Silence filled the room. No one was particularly surprised. <laughs> Everyone had realized the truth midway through Kendaichi's explanation. And here's so the, so the looks that were turned in unison towards Matsuko the moment Kendaichi said her name were loaded with disgust and hatred, but not with surprise. Even surrounded <laughs> by these malicious eyes, however, Matsuko remained perfectly composed. And as she sat quietly working her tobacco, a faint wry smile appeared on her lips. She's. Uh, she's so freaking cool. But I just love that ever like <laughs> everyone, including me reading the book, was like, well, I guess that's not a shock. <laughs> what did folks think about the violence in the book? Because one of the recurring themes from some of the uh, online reviews I read was, wow, like these were grotesque murders. I mean, maybe because I live in America <laughs> in the t- 2020s, wow. but I've seen more graphic stuff. I would argue that that anime we watched a few weeks ago uh, was more. You mean graphic. five days ago? Uh, no, uh, Made in Abyss, with that awful moment with the character's arm that I was not into. Mm. You want to describe that for everyone? Sure. So <laughs> I'm getting a head shake. So maybe no. It's, no, it's bad because she's a child. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also grotesque and bad and ugh, but it's worse because she's a child. I mean, I watch a lot of true crime and read a lot of true crime. So this is like body. This was not this true is like crime. This was body, body horror, horror, sci-fi, sci-fi stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yikes. Michael still talks about that. So I think if like it, something's really graphically violent, then it should like the payoff should be worth it. And I think something that was also frustrating was that the the heirlooms, the um chrysanthemum the zither or the kodo and the um axe weren't actually anything right like it was just how the bodies were i don't know kind of squared away so like the i don't think they i mean maybe i'm maybe i misread it or i missed something but like it was it was kind of a red herring in a way that was like well that seemed like the whole point of the book yeah like it, it was to the point that i was like Oh well, if like the 
the word they're like rearranging the words with Kyo's name at the end. Well, maybe it's like all like a word play in Japanese. So I'm like analyzing the kanji and their name. And I'm like, well, okay. So if you chop the head off of this kanji, it makes this kanji with that radical. And if you pinch this, then it becomes these two kanji. Didn't mean anything <laughs> at all. Spent a whole bunch of time on it. It was nothing. That's so frustrating. What Kyo says <laughs> at the end of the book is that it was Shizuma's idea for the first two murders and he was calling the shots and that he was, after the fact, trying to like make his mother's curse come true. And then on the third one, Matsuko wanted it to look like the same killer from outside the mansion, so she did it, did the same thing. Also disappointing, nobody walked up to that third corpse and was like, hey, there's burns on this butt. <laughs> What's, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Because that seemed relevant. Yep. That seemed like super important. He was in a frozen lake, which cured his burns. No. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's how scars work. I'll, I'll believe a lot, but not that. <laughs> Wait, are you saying cryotherapy isn't real? No. Yes. I don't know. Uh, okay, wait, I have a couple of additional thoughts to add. One, no, the violence of this book did not really bother me because, like Sam has said a few times, there's like a detachedness to the way it's written that, mm. like, even when somebody died, I was like, great, another part of the mystery to help me solve it. Like, it, there was no emotional connection to any of the characters for me other than being entertained by Kindaichi. What I want to know is at the very beginning, what sets this all off is that Wakabayashi sends the letter to Kindaichi telling him, like, I suspect that a bunch of murders are about to happen. I know that he showed Matsuko the, the will, but how did he know that the murders were going to happen? Like, did she confess to him that she was going to murder people? She had been making attempts on Tamayo's life. Like he was, she was literally trying to murder Tamayo, That he yeah. knew about? He knew that she had seen the will. And like, even if you kind of skim the will part, because truthfully, it's not that interesting. <laughs> um, a bunch of characters point out specifically, like, this is a will that will inspire violence. Because like, it's so contentious and it's so dramatic. So like, they we also don't know why. They like, they kind of said like, that's another story, which Matsuko won't tell because she kills herself at the end. But we don't know why she gets to see the will ahead of time. So it's also entirely possible that she just wrapped her, her kimono thing around his neck and was like, show me this will. We don't really know. Mm. Yeah. Well, this reminds me of something I wanted to bring up, which is like the direct turn of Matsuko's murder attempts from like cartoonishly stupid, which is like, <laughs> I drilled a hole in the bottom of your boat. I put a snake in your bed. And then she's like, I'm stabbing you. I'm like, I get it. Okay. Th those don't work. I'm stabbing you. I'm, I'm strangling you with my, like, I, okay, I figured it out. Like, it's a very sharp turn for her to have been responsible for all these. And like her first three attempts on the person, like she could have killed one person and like been done. And she was like, I'm going to put a, TNT in your oatmeal. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't understand why Tamayo couldn't have just said like, Kyo, I marry you because you fixed my watch when I was young. But also I'm going to give money to the other two brothers so that nobody dies. I feel like there had to have been another solution here. She's not nice. Probably because she effing hated them. Yeah, they're, they're, not, <laughs> they're not nice to her. She's not nice to them. That's like, true. Tomo was kind of a giant asshole to her. The real person who should have gotten all the money is Monkey. <laughs> that <laughs> <obviously> <laughs> is 
I'm writing That's- I'm writing an end to this book where monkey like quietly slits all their throats. <laughs> Mary That's also bio, but it's not in a weird way. It's just in a like we can live harmoniously and garden together way. Yeah, that that's another unsatisfying thread for me because I was like, surely monkey matters in some way at some point after all we've talked about like, oh, could he be Shizuma? No, okay, well, mysterious past anyway. And also he like always around and he'll kill for her. Dun, dun, dun. He's like, a red but- herring character. He's there to be a suspect. And also, he, you know, he he carries the body back. He has plot functions. He mm. rescues Tamayo mm. a few times. She sneaks but away from why him. Why is he a monkey? I don't know. He's just very weird. He's very that weird. Was, that was an interesting choice. I just want justice for Monkey. They fucked up his chrysanthemum dolls. I hear you. And no one apologized. I agree. He's also the only character who gets his name translated into English because his Japanese name is Saruzo and Saru means monkey. So it's like monkey was in his name, kind of. Like it's a play on words. So they just, yeah. I guess they couldn't think of an artful way to translate it and make have that come across so just like his name is monkey it's not weird we've got to wrap up shortly but i have a topic of conversation that we must discuss and that is the homosexual agenda (laughs) (laughs) which is to say that sahe who died had a homosexual relationship i don't he's a chaotic bisexual (sighs) i'm saying homosexual because that's the word they use in the book he had gay sex with a priest Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is like As many have, which is like all all over the internet these days. Anyway, <laughs> uh, pe- people having <laughs> editing at that part. <laughs> I can say things like that because if I don't um, like it later, I can edit it away. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to respond to that one. <laughs> okay, so there's there's like four times when they refer to this. It's ver- right at the beginning of the book on page eleven. Because of this youthful radiance, Dany was drawn to Sahe. People whispered of a homosexual relationship between them. Then on page 112, uh, no doubt Kyo had inherited his looks from Sahe, who had even aroused homoerotic passions in Tamayo's late grandfather, Dany Nonomiya. And then on page 208. What color post-it is for a homosexual agenda? Oh, blue. Your book? Yeah, okay, cool. Just checking. Oh, not rainbow? <laughs> but then how would I find each one? Off. In other words... <laughs> Could the homosexual relationship Sahe had experienced in his early years have affected his subsequent sex life, preventing him from having human feelings towards his mistresses and daughters? There's another quote, but really getting to that kind of thing is where I wanted to get to. All right, gays in this book, how, how'd they do? <laughs> Given it's the 40s, great. Right? Because Well, it's, it's 40s Japan, so a man can do what he wants. Uh, but also, yeah, so it's like a little different. Given that he didn't marry a man or anything weird no. like that, he just effed a man. But also was accused of not loving his daughters because of it. So, which honestly, as I'm now realizing, was kind of true because of his relationship with the wife later on. But still, that accusation not great. There's a number of ways in which uh, weird, weird uptight society makes a lot of things in this book happen that were otherwise unnecessary. Like, first of all, he's just a bisexual dude who met a couple that he was into and they had a thruple for a while and it was cool. Uh, but that got all torn up and he ended up like being a, an a-hole for the rest of his life because of it, question mark. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one that like the, the whole like thing with Tomo trying to like 
force himself on Tamayo uh, because, like, if he ruins her, then, like, she's got to marry him because mm-hmm. no one else will want her not virgin. Like, it's so weird. Like, that's not a good, like, you can't just claim a woman by. I thought it was supposed to be, like, a pregnancy thing, but but I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, because well, yeah. it said, like, she's unspoiled or something like that. It was, like, something that was very specifically, like, yeah. she's intact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no good. That was like a common thing that if a woman, like it didn't matter up for the men, but if a woman slept with anyone, for God's sakes, like go back to freaking like Bridgerton times. And if you kissed someone before marriage, you were spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say like if this is more sexist than other works or societal attitudes of the time, but viewed today, like this is not a feminist. This is not a work of feminist literature. Yeah, like imagine if when a man is born, he gets like a plastic seal on his dick that says "Do not marry if broken." And it's like the same. It's the same fucking arbitrary nonsense. <laughs> I'd ride a horse. Hmm. I I think the other thing we're leaving out is like the privilege and the positioning aspect too, which is that like he's still well thought of because he's also um like a the head of a company. He's very successful. He has a lot of like wealth and. Um, property and that sort of shit. So like, you know, if it was somebody in like one of the soldiers positions like Shizuma, then maybe it would have been a little bit different, but like, it seemed like it was like, ah, this old guy just did some stuff. Yeah. Didn't kill anyone. I love how much fun the priest was having, like learning his sexy gay diary stuff in the chest. He was like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. Like he loves hot goss. He loves hot goss, or maybe he loves reading about gay sex because it seems to be an, a running theme with this uh, this book and priests and like mm-hmm. and priests in general? Question mark. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a fun character. Anytime he comes back, you know something silly is about to happen. But see, I wanted him to have some purpose too. Hmm. I think half the reason I got so many of my guesses wrong was I just wanted to spread around the fun. <laughs> yeah, same, same. I was like. I clearly zeroed in on Matsuko, but I guess maybe, I don't know if I wanted to spread around the fun, uh, as you put it, <laughs> or I was just like scarred from the last dying message challenge where I was like, it was this guy every time and every murder was a different person. And I That's was like, not true. It was, there was a <laughs> fake murder that was a different person. But anyway, yeah. So let me ask a very specific question. How was the murder mystery in this book? Was there were the clues good? Did it all make sense at the end? Did you feel cheated? Did you feel satisfied? Regardless of the quality of the the plotting or the characters or the writing, the mystery. I think the I think the clue density was great, but I also think the packaging, like you know, I'm not going to complain again about the way that it was written, but I think the clue density was good. I think the the I had a lot of trouble keeping track of it. Um, because there was so much. So like having this conversation helped last week, um, sort out my thoughts, but I do also wonder, and maybe this is subjective, but is it a good murder mystery if we all kind of sort of figured it out? Cause when I figured it, like when I wrote down my notes, I was like, I'm a fucking genius. <laughs> and then, but everybody had similar answers. I was like, I just read, I guess. <laughs> so I guess I want a little, I, I think I wanted a little bit more intrigue. But I think as far as the murder mystery goes, I think it was good. Yeah, I would say it's pretty fair. I, like for some of the details, like there wasn't as clean a cutoff point 
in this one as the previous book where it was like stop you have all the clues <laughs> now solve and read uh the, it, there was there was revelations like straight up to the end so like you pick the best pickup uh, cutoff point you could uh but there were clearly things that if i knew like one more chapter's worth of information i would be like oh so this and that but that just means it was spread throughout like you weren't like oh now i know all the things now i'm just reading a bunch of fluffy end chapters yeah i thought the mystery was pretty good i i, I also feel like i would like something in between the last one which was impossible to figure out and this one which was like fairly easy i think again if we had been a team we would have all figured it out together um i think something like maybe a, a little more surprising uh i do feel like they tied up all the loose ends which was good uh, and satisfying i feel like there's a little bit too much like too many details and things to work out um and of course, as I've said, I think last week, I like a little bit more um, compelling story with like characters I connect to in my mysteries versus like dry police report type. And those are written in Japan and in Japanese and I think are more popular generally nowadays or were for a while, but they're not the ones I most enjoy. <laughs> but I hear that when people say it. Um, yeah, and of course, I asked you all to like focus in on the mystery, but of course, the package is important too. Maybe what we're discovering is that all murder mysteries should be read for podcasts where people Honestly, can talk I, them. I want to say this because I was going to say it last week and I Please. forgot or got distracted. What it makes me think of this one and the last one is like a much more complex version of like five minute mysteries. Did you guys ever read those in elementary school? Mm-hmm. I've got or some like on the shelf. School. It's come up. Yeah, it makes me think of those. Or like I used to read, they're very similar. I used to read these like clue mystery books. Like somebody came out with a series of kids books that was based in the mm-hmm. clue universe. Wherein like it was a bunch of zany characters. And then your goal was to like figure out the mystery, not to, you know, be deeply involved in the story. I didn't dislike this. It just felt yeah. like a longer version of that. That brings me to the next question. Yeah, things we liked and things we didn't like. We've shared a lot of this, so you don't have to repeat yourself. But if they're, I don't know, Michael, I don't feel like we've heard you say as much like whether or not you like the book. Yeah, I like the book. Um, I I wouldn't say it was like the kind of mystery where you're like, I'm going to solve it. I got all the clues. But as like something that was interesting to read, uh, I enjoyed it. it. I don't, it's tough for me with like older fiction that's got like a lot of icky details about that era that sucked. Because uh, that Sam agrees me a lot, but like I, I understand that's when it happened, uh, and that you're just reporting the state of things, and you're not responsible for it as the author. Doesn't mean I love reading about it. Uh, I mean, yes, the author is still responsible for it. It was acceptable and part yeah. of the book because it was a reflection of the culture. But people had choices about what they wrote. Right. I mean, there are things that the author presented poorly, like the concept of homosexuality. Uh, but then other things he was just like reporting on, like how women were treated back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also his uh, sexism went into it when he all he could say was like, this woman is beautiful. It's the most beautiful woman. Beautiful. Like the male gaze is very present. Well, for the record, it's important to say Noah did give at least I think everybody. But I know I got a content warning about the assault and stuff. So like, thanks Noah mm-hmm. for picking a book that has that shit. But at least saying like, just so you know. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I was like. <laughs> I don't know that everyone's up for this. And I don't know if we did that at the beginning of this episode, but I know we did at the beginning of last episode. Warn people about that as well. Yeah. Well, 
oh boy, I have lots of ideas for books in the future. Hopefully we will do this again because it is exhausting and a lot to ask of all our guests. So I really appreciate you all being here. Let me do my final number crunching. While you're crunching, is there like a flip version of this that's like, you know how they've got the, the romance novels that are very much the female gaze and like just just describing all of the men in excruciating detail and how beautiful they are. Is there a murder mystery like that? Because I would read that just to, I mean, just to see the others. The certainly are this. murder mysteries written for like <laughs> a pulpy female audience, but I haven't really read many of them, so I don't know what to tell you. I just want to read about like, he murdered those people, but his balls were pressing against his jeans so hard. <laughs> well, you know, we we covered um, a film adaptation of a gay murder mystery in our Pride episode not too long ago. So those books exist. Oh, so should I read those? I don't know. You could try to... one. It's much like the film. Okay. Um, the final results are in. You can, you can, you can, we can pretend this is suspenseful, but let's, oh, I finished tallying up the scores. Boop, boop, boop. In third place, with 43.7 points, is Kate. In second place, with 45.5 points, is Michael. And in... The point sevens really give away how this is working out. And in first place, (laughs) with 51.2 points, is Sam. Just rolling in here and... Becoming the detective champion of the podcast on her on her first try, making it look easy. Michael, Sam, Kate, you don't have to, but uh, if you all want to, if anyone wants to speak up and share like a project or a social media feed or somewhere people can find you or something you're working on or something you want to boost, yeah, uh, you can find my podcast. Dying message. No, just kidding. Uh, Blue Sky, <laughs> Blue Sky Edcast. Um, it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the good ones. Um, there's not too, too many episodes. I'm working on that, but it's interviews with other educators. So uh, it's good stuff. And my team, Daddy Issues, is all over social media. And we have t-shirts now. So if you're already a fan, you can buy one. Wait. Michael, how come we don't have t-shirts for your improv team? Because we haven't uploaded it. Oh, I, I ordered one for myself. Uh, but we just uploaded an image to T Public. It's not a lot of work. <laughs> that would be weird if I was like buying a, a t-shirt for Noah with my own improv so team that on I, it. Like come to my show wearing my this, no, this groupie t-shirt. Noah has done that like four times. Do it. I'm totally going to wear your oh, okay. improv show, team's t-shirt oh. to Noah your improv show. Tech, okay, Mike. For like a minute. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Anybody got more plugs or more heartbreaking secrets? Sure. Since you already plugged daddy issues, I'll plug my other improv team who is currently uh, figuring out if we might go into a real person thing. But for now, we're still online on Twitch. Uh, Smoke Break Improv. You can find us on Twitch and on all the social media. And it's like just about a, a bunch of recurring characters that are coworkers doing anything but their jobs. You say currently, but we we're on about a month and a half delay, so uh, at least a five. Oh, it'll delay. still be this season will still be going on, so it's good. I would like to promote um, the first and second season of The Mole is now on Netflix um, <laughs> from two thousand and one. It will scratch your mystery itch. Um, I've really enjoyed watching it because I remember some of these people, but can't remember who the mole is, so and good. Uh, the fashions are delightful 
also very LGBTQ friendly, which I didn't realize at the time when I was watching it as a hmm. preteen. Good to know. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michael and Kate for doing this again. Sam, thank you for diving in and doing this for the first time. It's great when somebody else chooses a book for you and <laughs> you just have to read it. <laughs> And uh, I want to say to our listeners, oh boy, this was a double episode about a book and you're listening to a podcast about the book. Hey, that's awesome. We're so glad that you listened and had fun along with us. It's a bit more work to create this than our regular podcast. So if you enjoyed what we've done here, you know, send us an email at diagmessagechallenge at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if you solved the mystery, if you liked the book. We're happy to share some of those thoughts in future episodes as well. And if you are interested in reading the novelization of a podcast about a book, let us know because we'll get that written up and sell that. <laughs> but don't buy one for your significant other. It'd be weird to do that. Mm-hmm. It'll be weird. I see. I wait. Why are you talking about the fact that I bought a, this copy of this book for Michael? No, I was no, talking no, about the, the t-shirt. The t-shirt. Oh, the, the t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, of course. And. Listeners, if you want to spread word about our podcast, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast so other people know that, hey, you liked this and you enjoyed it. You know, there's those uh, one-star book reviews out there in the world, and and we'd like to get some feedback and share with other people what you think about us. Okay. The only mystery left is how the podcast is going to end, because historically, I mm. don't always have an ending for our spinoffs. Oh, you're no. not going to end on that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought was happening. You, you Do you think I edited that out? We don't know. We're not from the future. Yeah, we established that you're not from the future, Mike. That, that was something you tried to pull on us last week. <laughs> Foiled again. Why don't I just read the last paragraph of the book? Is that terrible? Is that a terrible thing to do? I don't know. Let's find out. Oh, it is. It is a good. It is. We won't be able to comment on it, but I'm going to. Actually, who hasn't read from the book yet? Michael, do you want to read the last paragraph of the book? I talk a lot. Ooh, reading out loud, my favorite. Page 316. By the time the doctor had rushed to the scene, however, Matsuko Inugami, the most demonic woman, that extraordinary killer who had shocked the nation, lay dead, a trickle of blood seeping out of the corner of her mouth. It was a twilight so cold, even the snow lay frozen over Lake Nasu. It's no mystery that this has been Dying Message Challenge The Inugami Curse Part 2. Special Dying Message Challenge logo by Miriam Bloom. Music excerpted from Face Punch by Jesse Spillane. A huge thank you to our three contestants, Sam Abrams, Kate Esposito, and Michael Savitsky. Join us next week as we return to our coverage of Detective Conan. But first, this. Mike, I have Kindle tips for you offline. Like how to keep your library books Ooh. as long as you want. <laughs> oh my gosh. By turning off the Wi-Fi? Yeah, that's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> my other Kindle tip is like when you have a Kindle, that's the time when you read big, gigantic books because then you don't have to lug them around. Yes. <laughs> I read Stephen King's It on the Kindle and it was a great choice. Much too large to carry. But the percentage like would never must have never changed if you had the percentage in the bottom. It would be like three percent, still three percent, still three percent. I mean it took longer, but I am also a very fast reader, so yeah. 
It actually aggravates me that I can't turn that off completely unless I'm missing a setting because like the advantage of not having a book is I'm not always looking at how much I have left. I'm just like, I'm reading a book. I'm not getting impatient. <laughs> well, we are 9% into today's uh, dying message <laughs> challenge finale. All right. I'm starting a timer and I'm going to hold you to that. Okay, great. <laughs>